This is L.A. Court Report, covering Southern California's boys' high school basketball scene, going to games, running events, hosting Zoom conversations, and now, the podcast. This is the L.A. Court Report podcast. I'm Steve Wax with Brad Enright, and today our guest is Senior Associate Athletics Director for Development at Fresno State, Tim Collins. Tim, thanks for being with us today. Wax, Brad, thank you for having me. What we want to talk about today isn't so much the ins and outs of your job, but we want to discuss your experience in development. And for those of you listening who don't know what development is, it's fundraising. We want to talk about the ways you use money to enhance the basketball program at Fresno State. What does the money allow your program to do? Well, quite honestly, in a uh, in a COVID environment, it literally allows us to operate. Uh, You know, in in more traditional years, we're we're able to generate some revenues off of uh, ticket sales, parking, uh, TV revenue. Um, But uh, with some of those ancillary revenues out, out the window. You know, not being able to have fans and, and some of those restrictions in place. Um, uh, fundraise dollars are just helping us um, kind of stay alive, uh, for lack of a better phrase. In, in more traditional years, I'd probably say it, it helps us fill in our deficiencies. Um, and, and as coaches, we, we have those identified. You know, we, we have the needs and the wants of our programs, and, and we kind of look at those and, and identify those. Uh, the fundraise dollars kind of help fill in those gaps. And um, really, depending on where you're at, uh, that might look that might look different. And at, at Fresno State, uh, our our biggest focus in enhancing the opportunities for for our men's basketball program uh, really starts with nutrition and in, in feeding our young people and, and uh, not just not just the fuel, but also the education of of what they're putting into their bodies and and how it can help. Um, how it can how it can help them achieve at a high level um, at Wyoming, uh, you know, where I, where I was before Fresno State, um, you, you know, some of those other boxes were checked, and so their big need was recruiting and being able to get out and, and and get to see a lot of prospects. You know, it's funny here in California, we're really fortunate. You can get in a car and and you can see a couple five star recruits, you know, within a forty five minute drive. Um, well. In Laramie, Wyoming, uh, 45 minutes doesn't get you very far, especially in a foot of snow. So uh, we, we had to find a way to get coaches on planes and, and get them across the country. So um, uh, fundraising is, is, is integral in intercollegiate athletics or, or really in sports in general. I mean, even going with, with high school and youth sports, uh, because it just it provides opportunities uh, for your programs to excel. So for our people listening, can you talk specifically about that nutrition? What is Fresno State doing for its athletes in terms of nutrition? Yeah, right now it's it's really a baseline opportunity, and we're just making sure our guys are getting three meals a day. That's I mean that that's that's really a, a, the, the most important thing. Uh, typically, we'd like to do more team meals, and and um, because not only just the nutritional aspect, but but the team camaraderie and kind of the check ins that coaches can do during these team gatherings. Uh, but right now, we're not able to do that. Uh, you know, every, everybody's got to take take home and, and to go orders. Uh, but what we've really been able to expand on in the last couple of years is a fueling station 
where all of our student athletes, no questions asked any time of day can come by and get a protein shake. They can get grab and go snacks like, you know, uh, high protein items, you know, nuts and jerkies, smoothies, things like that. Uh, and, and that's been uh, incredible for our student athletes because, uh, you know, in between classes and, and, and all that, they can just grab something and, and get on with their day. You know, you look at, you look at elite level athletes that are training. Um, you take some of our swimmers, for example, they need to be consuming about seven, 8,000 calories a day just to maintain, uh, you know, their, their muscle mass. Now, Coach Enright and I can get you 7,000 calories a day, but they're probably not the ones <laughs> that we want uh, to be at an elite level. And it's what's really neat from our perspective is we've seen young people uh, take advantage of that opportunity and you just see their growth and development. Uh, there, there's a young man playing in the NFL that when I was first at Wyoming, he came in playing defensive end and he was weighing 185 pounds and he put on 40 pounds in 12 months. And, and typically that kind of get on your radar, like, Whoa, what's going on? Like, yeah, he got in the weight room. Uh, his position coach just said, no, Tim, when he was in high school up in, in Sacramento, he only got two, two meals a day, maybe. And uh, so, so that's been a, a huge focus. Uh, I, you know, probably one thing Wax, I think is important for everyone to know too uh, fundraising has a huge impact on scholarships and, and the opportunities that, that colleges are able to provide as well. And so at some levels, uh, fundraise dollars have, have a direct impact on people's ability to, to be successful. Um, you know, we, all three of us coached at places where, you know, if, if we had 10 full scholarships, we were, we were going to be really rolling, but we, we knew there were people in our league that, had five or six scholarships. And, and typically those weren't the teams that were winning the league. So it, it's interesting. It, everybody has that level kind of in that hierarchy of needs and fundraising dollars kind of help you get to that next level, whatever that looks like. And I'm glad you brought up your coaching experience. You've been a coach. Now you're an administrator. So we ask, what do you understand better as an administrator? Because you've had experience coaching and what does it allow you to do that maybe an administrator who doesn't have a coaching background may not understand as well as you do? Well, I've had the experience of being fired for winning and losing. Uh, and quite honestly, I understand what goes into that decision or, or how people are impacted by that decision. Um, and so um, uh, it's, it's obviously a very personal, personal deal. And, and, and you have, you have, impacted and that. so uh, having gone through that experience myself uh, and having friends who've gone through that experience uh, now it's not something you take take so lightly as an administrator you know you're not just thinking about getting the next next best thing you're thinking about how can we uh, develop this program together it's probably more of a, a partnership approach uh, that, that I have um, and uh, you know I think sometimes um, being on the administrative side you look, Oh, just, just go recruit or just go get this, or, you know, just, just go get better players. Well, you know, if you haven't recruited, if you haven't been in, in the home of a, of a prospective student athlete before, you don't really understand uh, the dynamics of that conversation either, uh, or, or what goes into some of those decisions. Um, and, and I'll say it's something that's evolving. I mean, so yeah, I, I coached for, or I was on college basketball staffs uh, for about 10 years um, and it's something that I still have to remind myself every now and then, you know, this, uh, this last summer is a, a really good example. 
during all the pressures with COVID, it was stressful for everybody kind of during the shutdown. Everybody wanted answers. Hey, when are we going to come back? Uh, when can we bring our student athletes back? And um, uh, the, the coaches were really getting frustrated with the administration because they just felt like every week it was the same, same song and dance. And about two, three months into it, uh, our kind of our administrative group, we probably got a little frustrated back at the coaches going, well, man, don't you guys know that we're fighting our tail off to get you guys back? Well, all of a sudden it kind of dawned on me, you know, yeah, we have these, uh, eight, you know, we had 18 head coaches uh, uh, in our program at the time. and going, we have these 18 voices coming at us as an administrative unit. Well, they have 450 voices and student athletes plus their parents coming at them. And so I think sometimes um, we lose sight of, of, of really all the stakeholders that the coaches are responsive to, uh, because we're not we're not always responsive to the same ones, unless it's a you know a crisis mode. I guess I would say. So, what do coaches need to understand better about administrators, and what do administrators need to better understand about coaches? You know, I would say that <clears throat> first. Um, now, now having been on the administrative side, I think that sometimes I kind of sit back and go, Oh man, when I was coaching, well, that person actually was working or that person was, <laughs> that person was doing something. So maybe it's just a baseline of understanding of what their job descriptions are, uh, you know, really and and uh, how slow, how slow moving, uh, sometimes that can be, um, but, but coaches, uh, as they get further on, uh, and their relationships with administrators, uh, hopefully that helps them gain a better understanding that administrators have constituents that we answer to as well. Uh, and, and if that's principals, presidents, uh, you know, boards, board of directors, whatever that looks like, uh, administrators, we have people that we answer questions to. And a lot of times, you know, coaches talk about sleepless nights. Uh, well, you know, we, we've, we've been there. Uh, but if it's, you know, worried about 15, uh, 15 student athletes on a team. Well, sometimes those administrators are awake at night because they have 450 student athletes that they're worried about. Um, the, um, uh, the budget, <laughs> the budget is something that probably keeps administrators up at night. And <clears throat> because, you know, uh, as the leader of a program, you may be a really good steward of that budget. Uh, but, uh, you know, some of your colleagues in the department may not be. And so uh, that, that, you know, worries administrators quite a bit. And then let me say, lastly, this scene really at the intercollegiate level um, is the level of exposure, uh, both good and bad. Um, you know, we all believe what athletics uh, uh, does in education, uh, both in high school and in higher ed and the opportunities it provides, but also the exposure it provides for our institutions. A lot of times there are opportunities that, that young people have in institutions that they maybe never would have known about if it weren't for their first engagement uh, with athletics um, in that school. So that's the good of it. That's the marketing of it. You know, they talk about Alabama uh, ever since they started winning national championships again with Coach Saban. Their out-of-state applicants have just gone through the roof. All right, that's, that's the good of exposure. Uh, but then there's the bad of exposure. You know, the, the uh, being on the, the front page of the newspaper for maybe something that doesn't shine the brightest light uh, on your institution. And so 
those are the things that, uh, um, you know, administrators are, are constantly navigating uh, and, and constantly worried about. Um, now, flipping that coin, um, administrators have to do a better job uh, of working at what, what motivates their coaches to be successful and, you know, why, why, why their coaches are doing what they're doing and, and what goals they have with their program. Um, I uh, um, oversee three sports here at Fresno State, and all of them manage their programs different, differently. All of them are motivated differently, and, and that's okay. Um, I think all three can be really successful. Um, our uh, uh, women's basketball team won a conference championship last year. Our women's golf team had the Mountain West Player of the Year. Our, our men's golf team is really good. And so, you know, but all three coaches have different styles. And so I think administrators have to do a better job sometimes of adapting uh, to their leadership and their programs. And then that creates probably uh, an environment more conducive for success. Hey, Sam, I wanted to ask you about going back to the budget and the fundraising. Mm-hmm. Fresno State's a unique situation. Obviously, it's, you know, the geography of it makes it kind of the only show in town there in the Central Valley. And that's a, a source of tremendous pride for the institution and the community. But it's also interesting because you guys have, you know, in the last, in this century, you guys have won a baseball national championship. Your football team has been very competitive, not only within your league, but on a national level. Your basketball team is, you know, just very well known just from the past, from the Jerry Carcanian things and all that that it's brought and then the program has been successful with Terry now with with Justin having the big three sports not one just kind of overshadow any of the other ones does that make it easier to fundraise or does that make it more of a challenge because people maybe want money to go to different places yeah that's a really good question um I guess one thing it ultimately comes back to the culture uh, the fundraising or the philanthropic culture uh, that your institution has. Uh, I guess one thing that uh, coming from the University of Wyoming, at, at Wyoming, there was almost no sports specific fundraising. I mean, think about that. For as, for as big as football and men's basketball were there, people rarely made gifts uh, that were restricted annual donations to those programs. Uh, now, we raised money for facilities and capital improvements that were sports specific, uh, but it was never programmatic. Well, here at Fresno State, uh, we don't provide uh, we don't provide the budgetary support for our programs, uh, really, uh, just on the baseline of need. So we're having to go raise uh, just to bring, just bring that baseline offering up, right? Just, you know, to be able to travel the right way. Uh, you know, the, the level of expectation at the Mountain West that we have uh, for our for our programs, and so it's 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 kind of interesting, you know. I'd love to be, you know, just able just to just to worry about facilities as an example, because facilities because have a huge impact on on recruiting. Uh, I think back, uh, uh, Wax, you remember a couple of years ago, our alma mater, Loyola Marymount, was was uh, uh, going head to head with Wyoming uh, on Jeremy Lieberman uh, from uh, Calabasas High School, right? If I got that right, and I remember even having a conversation with, with some of my uh, classmates from LMU going, Oh, we're going head to head. You know, we're going to get this point guard out of Southern California. And they're going, well, why would he go to Wyoming instead of going to Loyola Marymount university? I mean, life on the bluff, Vinny's pizza, the whole deal. Yeah. 
it, you know, quality of life is great on the bluff. And I wore flip-flops every day my senior year at, at Loyola Marymount. That was awesome. But when Jeremy came to Laramie, Wyoming, he saw how the institution was committed to men's basketball and committed to success. And so you just walk into a 10,000 seat arena, uh, a weight room that is specific to men's and women's basketball, a nutrition center, uh, you know, where you can eat any time of day and you go to a game, a non-conference game in front of 6,500 people, you're going, man, I want to be at this place. Um, so taking that to what, what we're trying to get done here at Fresno state, we're trying to fix our revenue model so we can kind of bring up the floor of that baseline opportunity that we're giving to our programs. And then now our fundraise dollars can provide a, a transformational impact, whether that be in facilities or, or just overall sustainability uh, of our programs. Um, you know, that, that's where it probably gets a little more contentious because like at the Wyoming's when people wanted to make donations, it went to the general fund. Whereas here at Fresno state, people want to make, if they want to make donations to football, that's great. But obviously, you know, we have to make sure that we're following Title IX and, and a lot of those spending uh, procedures to make sure that we're equitable as a department. And that provides great pressure uh, on us as administrators or even fundraisers because you might not, um, yeah, you know, somebody wants to make a huge donation to football. They may not want to make it to, uh, to volleyball, as an example. It's funny you use the word contentious because one of the questions that we have for you is that we know that in a competitive atmosphere, coaches can develop very contentious relationships with administrators, <laughs> understanding that sometimes great coaches and great administrators have very difficult relationships. So can you talk about when this contentious relationship surfaces, what can you do to smooth it out? First thing you have to do is identify why it's contentious. Right. And that, that's just that's just the first thing. And then secondly, try to gain try to gain their perspective. Um, you know, everybody, if, if you're taking the time to, to listen to this podcast, you, you, you you've looked up plenty on communication and styles of communication and done all of that. But I think uh, when what I've learned is once you start learning what people's style of communication, what they want, um, especially as our job as administrators, I, I think it's us, it's our job to adapt to our coaches and adapt, uh, uh, you know, to our bosses. Um, and so there's some coaches, like, for example, um, uh, Jeff Tedford just retired here from Fresno state a couple of years ago, highly successful coach. He was highly successful in the PAC 12 and what he wanted for me, uh, uh out of he didn't want to hear from me during the season. <laughs> that was the, that was the first thing, but out of the season, we met, we met weekly and we had an agenda that we went down. Okay. Uh, our new head coach, Kalen DeBoer, uh, coach DeBoer is so efficient with communication like via text message that that's how he wants. We don't need to meet one-on-one. -on -one. We'll, we'll have those. Those will come uh, more informally, but he's okay. If I just fire off to do list items via text uh, because he's efficient uh, with his communication that way. Um, you know, I, I think back to probably the first time it was ever contentious and it, it doesn't end. The story doesn't end with it being contentious so I can share it. But uh, uh, when I got to Wyoming, I'd been there about three weeks and I get a call from the women's basketball or pardon me, uh, the men's basketball office. Hey, coach Shiat wants to, wants to talk with you. I'm going, Oh no, what's, what's going on. So I go downstairs. Hey coach, how's, you know, how's it going? 
and he's letting me have it. The, the, the night at the, the opening men's basketball game, when the team took the floor, they started playing uh, smoke or, or releasing smoke and fog uh, from, from the tunnel, you know, kind of like you think back to the Miami Hurricanes. And he's just letting me have it. Tim, I don't want smoke. I want fans in the seats. I don't want smoke with probably some colorful, colorful words uh, uh, in there too. And so I'm just taking it for about 10 minutes and I, you know, I, I leave, I'm kind of thinking, Hey man, I'm the fundraising guy. I'm not the marketing guy. Like what's going on, you know? So anyway, one of the assistants goes in and they, Hey, Hey, shy, you know, Hey, that's the, that's the fundraising guy. He's the new fundraising guy. He's not the marketing guy. And he goes, well, why didn't anybody say anything to me? You know, just let me up. But anyway, uh, uh, we, we had a good laugh at that about six years later, uh, at his son's wedding, uh, uh, over a glass of wine, but anyway, but, um, so I, I think it just always comes down to communication and if it's contentious, uh, listen to their perspective and, and there, there's probably uh, a way for, for both parties to get better. Yeah, it's very common for institutions, whether they're high schools or universities, to say, we want to be the best, we want to go for it. What's the wish list those programs need to have? What are the elements of success that they need to build into their programs? People don't believe this, especially when uh, Brad was at Dominguez Hills and, and Wax, you were at Cal Poly Pomona. And, and I was at Shadron State or, or figuring it out. Um, even Kentucky and Duke basketball have complaints, right? I, I don't know what, what those are, um, but, but they have them. Uh, uh, the, the omelet station doesn't have enough vegetables or something. I don't know. Anyway, but what I would say for, for any program uh, to really excel, I guess, is, you know, and, and to compete at a high level, uh, or, or to operate at a high level, you have to have alignment. I don't think I've ever really, I've never realized how important alignment was uh, really until the last couple of years of my career. Um, you have to identify who those key decision makers are, who are the key stakeholders, and, and how, how can they help you achieve alignment? Um, you know, a couple of years ago, uh, we, we rededicated a memorial at War Memorial Stadium at the University of Wyoming. And uh, uh, I had family in town, my, some of my kids. We went to it. It was kind of a neat historical moment to be at. And the governor is walking off the dais and he's, he's you know, leaving this little guy. He says, hey, Tim, how's it going? And, and my mom goes, oh, my gosh, the governor knows the governor knows your name. And, you know, well, the governor of the state of Wyoming, he, he governs half a million people. That's probably similar to the mayor of Fresno. Right. Um, but in terms of achieving alignment, it was, it was just one of those things. And, and I, I shared with you guys before we got on the call that um, uh, the governor, the head football coach and the athletic director and, and the vice president for fundraising, they evaluated athletic facilities as a collective because that was important to the agenda of, of, of the governor to improve the status of the University of Wyoming and specifically athletics. He believed that athletics could help lift up the university. And so he wanted to figure out how to do that. And it was going to be by investing in athletic facilities. Well, that's alignment. That's from the governor all the way down to the football coach. Um, at Fresno State, it's a little bit different. 
you know, we're, we're, we're a part of a campus system with, with gosh, 21 campus uh, state institutions. Uh, that's not even to mention the, the UC schools. Um, so uh, achieving alignment, it looks a little bit different. And uh, so in our two and a half years here, uh, uh, our athletic director, Terry Toomey, has done incredible work with his colleagues in the cabinet and the vice president for you know, finance and administration and the president of the university and figuring out how to accomplish alignment just you know, within our own, uh, within our own uh, system. So I would tell any coach that is what are your beliefs? What are, what's your value system? And, and how do you think you're going to be good? And does your athletic director believe the same thing? Does the principal of your school, does your activities director, do they believe that, that athletics is important? Um, cause, because if they don't, if they don't believe in athletics, uh, it's going to make your job a lot harder as a coach. Well said. Now, administrators, they're often leaders and they're often managers. And sometimes the daily tasks of booking buses, listening to complaints from disgruntled parents and student athletes, booking officials, things like that, push the administrator to management rather than leadership. So how do you assist other administrators growing to their potential as leaders? That's a, that's a good question. And it's probably something, you know, I myself strive every day to achieve as an administrator. Um, you know, we're, we're going through something a little bit similar to that, just uh, because of the layers that COVID creates from, from a procedural side. Um, but also we, we lost two gift officers right at the start of the pandemic to uh, uh, opportunities at UCLA and California Berkeley. And so we've had to redivide our own duties and in, in our own, uh, on our own team. And so that's kept us at our desk, so to speak, a little bit more. Uh, um, and um, that's, uh, uh, we've all had to kind of take on different layers of the, of the bureaucracy, <laughs> I guess is what I would say. I, I think that if somebody really has a lot of administrative tasks and you, and you talk about that, um, you know, as a high school athletics director and all the scheduling items that, you, that you're responsible for, um, uh, you know, referees, who's working the concession stand, all, all of those items. Uh, the, the one thing I learned is that you actually, you have to schedule uh, evaluations of your organization at, at different times throughout the year to make sure that you're always pushing forward uh, some, of, some of those big picture agenda items. Uh, th there's a great book uh, called Dean. And, and we've all been in those meetings that, that have been, a, a, you know, arduous uh, to say the least, but it talks about, Hey, you might, your organization may need a daily meeting, like a coach's meeting, right? But what's important to get done in that coach's meeting? Well, it's that daily practice plan, what you're going to accomplish that, that day, but you might need to have a weekly or monthly meeting that is maybe just for a half an hour or an hour long that, jumps up a level in the organization and, and takes on that next layer of what you're wanting to accomplish. So it's not your daily practice plan, but, you know, maybe it's a, a something you want to do with your team, you know, that's uh, uh, more conceptually complicated than something that can be covered on a daily basis. Or is it a quarterly meeting of, hey, these are the goals that we have in place. 
And this is how we're going to achieve those. And so you have to make sure that you have follow-ups um, to, to make sure you're, you're, you know, checking off some of those benchmarks. Tim, tell us the truth. Would administrators prefer coaches who would rather beg for forgiveness than ask for permission? Or do you want coaches that are going to ask for permission first? We want neither. <laughs> no, I'm, I guess, um, you know, <laughs> it goes back to the communication uh, for sure. But uh, I guess I would say, hey, if, if, if you're going to fail, fail trying, right? So as a coach, if, if you're doing what's in the best interest of your young people, uh, your student athletes, uh, and, you're, and you're keeping the institution's best interests at heart, if you make a mistake, you know, I think that's okay. Um, you know, I, I would encourage, you know, like coaches that are working with ADs and, and um, you know, sometimes it's got to be generated by the coach. It's kind of that, that aspect of managing up, you know, managing up to your boss you know, create opportunities to have formal and informal conversations with your athletics director. You know, um, uh, I, I have a monthly meeting with our, with our uh, head coach of our women's basketball program. And that's a little more formal. And we go down an agenda and, and to kind of catch up about things. But then there's also other opportunities where we can just connect for a few moments or I can stop by practice and see how the team's doing and just say hello. Um, and so I, I think if, um, if you're kind of operating within that framework of, of what's best for your student athletes and, and, and you have an understanding of your institution's mission, uh, uh, you'll be fine. You, you know, you, you'll do a good job. Great. I know we're getting close to wrapping up. I have one more question. I know Brad has one more question. And the question that I have for you is about diversity and athletic administration. We're living in a time when there's really a push to have a diversity in coaching, but we're seeing a lack of diversity in coaching often because there's a lack of diversity in administration, not only in athletic administration, but in university administration. What can be done to assist in creating a more egalitarian environment to embrace diversity, equity, and inclusion in athletic administration and university administration? Well, it's been a, it's been a major topic of our Lead 1A uh, Athletic Director Association, um, but I guess what I would say personally, Wax, um, we have to do a better job of uh, uh, really recruiting recruiting candidate pools uh, that are outside of our own comfort zone and our own networks. And um, I have a great, um, you know, I'll call her a, a mentor. It was a colleague of mine that I worked with at the University of Wyoming, uh, China Jude. And uh, Dr. J is the, the president of uh, uh, Minority Opportunities and Athletic Administration of MOA, uh, which is an affiliate of NACTA. And <clears throat> it's interesting. I'll call her um, to kind of bounce some ideas about hires that I have um, and, and looking to um, uh, recruit diverse pools. And her, her big thing is go outside of your professional network. Um, and, and if you, if you start to do that, you'll start, you, you'll start to, uh, really bring in, uh, more people that have an opportunity at, at the table that, uh, especially in, in development, um, you're not hiring because somebody took a fundraising 101 class in college. You're hiring, 
based on, on talent a lot of times and people's abilities to uh, develop relationships and connect with other people. And so uh, in our space, it's incredibly important uh, uh, to have a diverse staff uh, because the, the populations that we're working with and uh, as donors, uh, they have diverse backgrounds. And so we have to, it starts to me in, in the recruitment of the candidates uh, now, when you start looking at, at accomplishing uh, diversity at higher levels of, of administration, well, that means that we have to start fostering uh, that understanding and, and kind of growth at, at, at other positions within the organization. And so then you can create more candidates uh, as well. Tim, the, you know, within the last year or so, the governor of California has signed the legislation to allow collegiate athletes to you know, profit and benefit from their likeness which has caused, you know, a great deal of excitement on one end and a great deal of tension on another. Uh, have you, has your institution, has your administration done any work on how they're going to kind of go about that? Or is that something they're going to have to follow the lead of our favorite people at the NCAA? <laughs> Brad, I noticed you said our favorite people at the NCAA. That was a, there was a tone that I'm picking up there. Uh, I, no, uh, they're nothing but love for, uh, <laughs> I gotcha. Um, well, I guess what, what I would say, so at Fresno State, yes, we have uh, done some work, uh, in the NIL space. Uh, we've, uh, uh, have two, uh, consultants that are working, uh, really on educational aspects with, with our student athletes and building brands and, and, you know, kind of, uh, uh, helping educate our young people as they're the experts um, on, on growing a social media following. Now, uh, I'll share my personal belief about name, image, and likeness. Uh, I think it's a good thing. Okay. I think a student athlete uh, should have the same opportunity that uh, a student in the music department has. I don't think that that, that should be limited. Now, um, there's a lot to still be decided, you know, what guardrails are up. Um, uh, the, um, uh, you know, you look at the uh, uh, promotion of brands that are maybe uh, contradictory to what agreements the university has in place. Uh, you know, um, as an example, you know, the NBA, uh, they're Nike jerseys, right? Is that right? Uh, but Harden can still wear Adidas shoes. Right. Well, if, if you're at a, a Fresno State and we're in Adidas school, uh, it sounds like right now it's leading that the student athletes aren't going to be able to sign deals that are competing with with those agreements that are in place with the institution. Um, and, and which actually is something that the uh, experience so far in, in basketball, um, but actually golf. Uh, Collegiate golfers can accept equipment and, and, and gear, um, uh, you know, from uh, golf club companies. Well, FootJoy makes golf shoes. So we have a couple student athletes that are of the amateur level that to, to qualify for that product. Um, well, they're not going to be able to wear it because that's, that's competing with the brand uh, that we have an agreement we have in a deal with. Um, so I, I do think it's good. I think anything in the open market, it'll ultimately correct itself. So uh, I don't I don't think anybody has anything to be too worried uh, uh, too much to be worried about. But what what I will say at Fresno State, we have a unique opportunity here. Um, our student athletes 
that will uh, be able to earn the most once this legislation is passed. Uh, we have uh, um, the former uh, freshman of the year and uh, uh, her twin sister, who is also an all-conference performer. Um, they're sophomores this season from Arizona. They have 2.5 million followers on TikTok. Um, so they'll be able to monetize that. So it's kind of funny. We have, we've engaged with these uh, all these consultants that come in and they evaluate your student athletes and their brand potential. And they go, oh, this is the first school that we've been at where women's basketball actually has the, the strongest opportunity uh, to monetize, uh, you know, once this legislation goes into effect. So there's so much to, that needs to be kind of worked out. Um, but I'm, I'm hoping uh, all in all that it'll be a positive thing. Has the economics or the business department of your institution gotten involved in any of this at all? Just with the opportunities, you said brand building, monetization, just a way to maybe just trigger or ignite a, maybe a business career or interest in a different major for some student athletes. Yeah, so I'd probably say if, if 20 years ago, the, the focus in intercollegiate athletics was uh, um, strength and conditioning, and that was the next step. And then 10 years ago, it was nutrition. That's kind of what we're in now, I would say, is, is, is um, you know, really enhanced career development. You know, I, I guess is the, the way to put it. Um, I think what we're concerned about is that our, our competitors that can afford to will be able to hire their own student athletes to market some of their own brands, right? And so then essentially you're just paying your players. Um, you know, uh, at a place like Fresno State, we, we more than likely wouldn't, wouldn't be able to afford something like that. Um, so that's kind of, I think, where, where we're still waiting to, to find out what guardrails are, are put up. Um, but right now, yeah, our, our, our marketing department uh, within athletics is, is keeping a close eye. And this would be a great place to say we could probably talk about this till kingdom come. So we're going to go ahead now and say, Tim, you have an open invitation to come back and talk about all these interesting issues. We thank you for your time. We thank you for your wisdom. We wish you the best. Well, Wax, I just appreciate what you and Brad are doing for high school basketball in Southern California. That's a, I was trying to think it's probably come a long way from, we used to have to look up scores on the SoCal hoops board. Um, and uh, so thank you for what you guys are doing to grow the game. Thank you for tuning in to the L.A. Court Report podcast, an L.A. Court Report production. 